two, Morgan hasn't seen M. Night say his last name, Ginny. Shyamalan. <laughs> because I pronounce it Shyamalan. Which I mean, Apparently, if you go, if you go by the spelling, wrong. if you go by the spelling, that's how you say it. Like, but I haven't ever heard him say it. So. No, neither have I, actually. Neither have I. That's why we don't know how to exactly pronounce the lovely man's name. Anyway, we're back with M. Night movies, the M. Night series on Morgan Hasn't Seen. We've already covered The Visit and The Village, but we don't have, like, the Velociraptor today, do we? <laughs> no, we do not. <laughs> the ventriloquist dummy today or another v related word because i don't even know m night's never made another, another movie, movie with a v related <laughs> word anyway we are here to talk about a, a movie that people tend to like i'm led to believe that this is actually one people generally qu quite enjoy um but it's going to be an interesting discussion because I think there's a lot to get into with this one today, Janine. Yes. Excited so, to talk about... Yes. Signs. Signs. <laughs> signs on the road. Signs in the stars. Or signs in farmers' fields. What kind yes. of signs, Janine? So many different kind of signs. Oh yes. my God, the layers of signs in <laughs> signs is ridiculous. How many oh times are we going to say the word signs in this episode? Probably a lot. Probably. Probably. An awful lot. Um, aside from the kind of obvious one that, you know, it's a pretty big M. Night movie. Um, I mean, I would ask why you picked this one for this series, but... I won't ask directly that. I will instead ask, like, what are your overall feelings towards signs anyway? Presumably you saw it years ago. Yes. Uh, I actually really enjoyed this one. Uh, it's not so much of a twist as it's a um, kind it's almost of... Like, it's almost uh, like a realisation. Yes, and a... Uh, um, I don't know what word I'm looking for. A kind of journey back to faith, you know. Yeah, it's a, a yeah, like a re, not a resurfacing, but a almost a reconfidence, yeah. or something like that. Like I think, um, yeah, you're right with like realization. Yeah, because I mean, they make this whole kind of point of um, Mel Gibson's character Graham, you know talking about two kinds of people people who just believe in pure luck and you know there's nothing there's no higher power out there that's making things happen for us or watching over us yeah and then those people that do believe in that that things happen for a reason that there are signs out there that are meant to show us the way show us you know you know that we're there in place for a specific all, reason yeah it's all um, like destiny and people have yes. set paths from the stars or yes. whatever so kind be. of that choice in which one of those people are you is kind of i guess considered the twist of this movie is yeah. that decision being finally made so yeah and it's the central idea to this movie really and yes look signs is an alien invasion movie that to be quite honest with you, I don't think could be less about an alien invasion yeah, if it I wanted think, to be. I think it's about a, uh, more of about a journey back to faith and an alien yeah. invasion just happens to be the surface level problem that makes that come about. <laughs> yeah, which is why, you know, it's never... I mean, having seen the movie now and, you know, people's main gripe towards signs, I'm led to believe, was the fact that the aliens... Uh, can get killed by pouring water on them. So why the hell did they invade Earth, a planet that's 70% water? Yeah, so that's kind of what people get hung up on and kind of call this movie out for being stupid. Like, you build up these aliens to be these so intelligent creatures, yet they're coming to Earth, you know, that's made up mostly of water. How stupid. But that's not what you're really supposed to be focusing on, you know? No, I think it's that's... just this crazy supernatural unexplainable unexpected scary thing 
that is bringing this grief stricken family together and kind of making them realize what side of this belief debate they're on. Yeah, it's making them almost confront their own grief. Like, they've been grieving for a while. Yeah. But it's making them absolutely confront life Head on. without um, their, you know, the, the mother of the family. Yes. Um, that's what it is. It's a, it's a movie about confronting your own emotions as well. Yes. As... Um, not just a surface level alien invasion movie. And people can say the movie built up the aliens to be this intelligent creature. But to be perfectly honest with you, I don't remember the movie doing that. Maybe the movie did do that, but that wasn't what I was focused on in this movie. To be honest with you, I was entirely focused on this family drama that yeah. this is. I mean, we spoke about this last week on the the village episode that you know that the village yes okay it's got elements of horror in it and look obviously science has got elements of sci-fi horror in it of course it has yeah but both of those movies at the heart of them are dramas signs in the case of it's a family drama the village in the case of it's a community drama but yeah i think signs is a very very um, impactful family drama. I think it it can make you think about your own life and experiences and your own grief and that kind of thing. And that tends to be what the most impressive dramas do. Yes. And if you're one of those people who are hung up on the alien aspect and think that's kind of the main focus on the movie, they do kind of do take the time to do a little bit of explaining that, you know, they have gone to places that don't have a lot of water like you know that's why they're doing yeah. the crop circles for navigation and doing it in those kinds of areas that very dry dry areas like they do mention something like that so it would make sense that if they're going to the one probably planet with life that we know of to take it over and use their resources and things like that and they're gonna start with those areas that are easy for them to access and not have to worry yeah. too much about water so yeah there, I feel like that was kind of explained if that's your big hang up about why you think this movie is stupid or you don't like it or your one big criticism, which I think you're missing kind of the bigger point if that is kind of where your focus is at. Because definitely the family aspect drama stuff, I think, is really well done and a great uh, thought, you know, a great focus point to bring up some really interesting thoughts. Yeah, something I've definitely noticed in watching more M. Night movies for this series is actually the quote-unquote what he's known for, i.e. the big story twist, shouldn't be what he's known for at all. Like, the man is not some sort of gimmick director. And people think he is, and I think... I think of all his films, he really only has three movies with like a significant thing that you could call a twist, and the rest are kind of just building just to because it building to a circumstance. Yeah, like the rest kind of just build to a, a circumstance, or or it's a realization, or something like that, or things just kind of play out. Um, it's not really a big twist, um, but yeah. because he did that, you know, kind of at the start, that's kind of has landed him this mark of being this very gimmicky conceptual you know yeah director, I think, so i think he is a conceptual director absolutely i think he's a conceptual director but i think that's what he should be known for i don't think he should be known as the twist guy yeah. you know because he's way, he, he's way more than that yeah. having now watched a few more of his movies for this series he is way more than just surface level story there's there's intelligent things going on in his movies yeah. if you actually take the time to look past the come on twist where's the twist <laughs> i wonder where the twist is like yeah. like you feel people are like with m night yeah that's what they're kind of going in there looking for um i do love how he you know invests us in characters i think he that's something really smart that he does uh, i will say um 
with with Graham and setting up his character, how he used to be, you know, a, a, a priest and, yeah. you know, him losing his faith over the death of his wife. I will say the exposition with that was well handled and set up well with people just kind of calling him father all the time and him saying, don't call me that, yeah. you know, and all of that kind of set up uh, was really well done with him. But I was kind of disappointed with Meryl's being so clunky the baseball (laughs) yes you know that was very exposition heavy and kind of lazy and clunky and i didn't care for that whole explanation like like the the guy which i swear like like in my mind i'm thinking what is he credited as he's credited as exposition punk rock guy (laughs) yeah because he kind of really is it's the who is it like the son of the rival farmer to Mel Gibson or something like that. Well, I think he's just some guy who's maybe filling out a form to be recruited or something. Because I think it's like a recruitment, uh, like a well, military yeah, like, recruitment office. So it's probably yeah, yeah. some guy who maybe went to high school with him and just knows him from the town. I don't know if it's like the Huffington brother that like the that they keep oh, I thought up. it was. Um, I thought it was. I thought they said that it was. Him. I don't and think they why... said his last name. I think they just said his first name or whatever. Oh, okay. So, I wondered. I wondered because was that why Joaquin Phoenix kind of nudged him awkwardly and made yeah, him do because, his paper? <laughs> yes, because I don't. I couldn't remember if they said his name was Lionel because I think it was Lionel something Pritchard. I don't. I don't, I don't necessarily. Remember yeah, now. I. I, just I seem never to recall that that was a family member from the rival I, farm. I, okay. I always just assumed that it was just some loser who went to high school with him who's doing nothing with his life because he's, you know, got the sleeves cut off his jacket and he looks like some dirty sure. punk rock guy who sure. just has nothing else to do because so he's joining, you know, he, he's simply signing up for military because, you know, what else I mean, you'd be do in a small you... town? And, you know, he's just some small town guy who like butted heads with him in high school or something yeah. because they look kind of around the same age. So I kind of just put put my own backstory on this guy but yeah i just didn't that was something i just did not care for you know they did such a good job with graham in building up you know he's a man of faith who has lost his faith and that just made him that much more of an interesting character without bashing me over the head yes there are they were able to kind of pepper in the exposition and kind of make it make you fill in the pieces for yourself um, but with Merrill, it's like somebody literally just like saying his whole story, like they're reading a book, you know, and it would just felt yeah. like he was like he was almost narrating. And I just felt like doing such a good job with Graham and then to be so lazy with Merrill just felt, you know, the 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 recruitment officer was enough kind of saying, hey, aren't you this guy who did this? Da, 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 da. I'm like, I could have handled just that. But then the guy chiming in and like narrating Meryl's whole story just felt so lazy to me. Okay. Okay. (laughs) We always do talk about the kind of show don't tell aspect and we we always prefer the 20 second exposition that takes 20 seconds and you get all the same ideas and you get all the same information that you do in 20 minutes of another movie. Yeah. And that's the remake. Um, recently, of course, we keep bringing up the the Rear Window remake that you happened to watch with Christopher Reeve that took 25 minutes to <laughs> oh, say gosh. what Rear Window, actual Rear Window, took 25 seconds to say. Yes, it was terrible. <laughs> just strange, strange. Um, I just want to go back to the, that one, you know, punk rock guy, if you want to call him a punk rock guy in the uh, recruitment office. I'd be questioning why he's joining the military, if he's a punk. Because that just seems a little bit, you know, kind of not what a punk should be doing. (laughs) Yeah, conforming to the man. But yeah, it's like a small town, so I guess A bit hypocritical there from the punk. That's kind of what you do in a small town if you have nothing else to do. But, you know, just the cut-off sleeves of a leather jacket and wearing all black and dirty, you know, hair. I guess that's kind of the vibe they were kind of going for with this loser guy of the town just mocking Meryl. So I do, I do like the, like the little Meryl kind of like, you know, messing with him. But yeah, I just did not like that lazy exposition of him just kind of saying Meryl's whole story. It just felt very lazy and, and 
especially for Shyamalan, who like you know yeah. kind of takes his time and lets you fill in the pieces and gives you enough to kind of figure out who this person is. But do you like where it goes with the whole Meryl swing away? Yes. Aspect? So I do. I do like. I like that. That is his story. I like Meryl's story. That you know he was great in that way with baseball. You know, but. He's a good hitter, but he, what was it? He, he, he has like the highest, the, the furthest home record. run. Yes. Yeah. He's got the record for the furthest minor league home run of like 507 feet or something like that, which is absurdly far. Yeah. But he also has the strikeout record because he always swung no matter yes. what happened. It felt, and I like that he just kind of ended with that line. It, it didn't feel right not to swing, you know. Hmm. Take your chances, Meryl. Yes. Take so, chances. like that line alone speaks to who he is. I like that that's his story, but just the way that it was delivered by accredited expo- yes. ex- <laughs> exposition punk guy number five. Like, I just did not care for that delivery of how he delivered it, how he sold it, how he was giving it to us. Like, I just, I didn't care for that. I wish they would have handled. Uh, his story a little bit better but i do i do like that that's his story i just didn't like how they gave it to us especially with you know m night and how he's built up characters after this and before this in in his other films so that was like Uh, one my my one pet peeve i think that bugged me the most it's not a slight towards joaquin phoenix either because i think joaquin phoenix is just as great as he kind of always is and obviously, he's a little bit sillier in this movie as well, yes. which I, I kind of appreciated a little bit of comedic Joaquin Phoenix that you and, mm-hmm. can occasionally get in movies. And this movie, I think, had probably more comedy in it than I remember. Okay. Like the kids sitting there with their tinfoil hats and him like... Yeah. <laughs> it is a funny little scene then, actually, when the... Obviously, the two actual children one of them's called morgan by the way which is just (laughs) let's get that out the way with now Um, (laughs) i always find it weird when my own name comes because i've got you know i've not got a necessarily common name no so it's always been a little bit strange to me when my own name comes up in movies and tv and what (laughs) have you yeah (laughs) so that's weird to start with but yeah it is quite funny when the children just have their tinfoil hats on because they're get, they're getting really into, especially Morgan. He's getting really into uh, this alien or this possible alien invasion, right up to the point where it's an actual confirmed alien invasion, and then they just all become rightly terrified. Yeah. Um, but he's getting really into it. He's got this book. He goes to the bookstore and he buys this book on alien conspiracy or mm-hmm. whatever it is, and he turns into an absolute. He turns into one of those horrendously annoying people that you get on weird documentaries made by the garbage channel Um, (laughs) well i mean and even like meryl's whole explanation about it's just nerds that are just make up these dumb little codes to make themselves feel special and now it's just new nerds doing it and and then like (laughs) when morgan starts kind of like spitting out all these facts that he learned from this book (laughs) i love that meryl's like that's what the nerds want. <laughs> they want you. They want you to believe this stuff. So yeah, like Joaquin does have some really funny moments in this movie. Like them running around the house is hilarious, and yeah. you know, and um, and, but, and like I, I think we both kind of were like uh, Mel Gibson not being able to show angry anger or like use curse words is kind of a hilarious concept, and speaks it really to is. it speaks to him being a great actor because. Do you know what I will? I will. I will honestly always say this about Mel Gibson. I think Mel Gibson is a really, really good actor. Obviously, he's a horrible person. Like, really, he's just kind of just an angry, hyper-masculine mess of a man. Um, but he's a really good actor. He always yeah. has been a really good actor, yeah. and I still think he kind of is. A pretty good actor. Yeah, and you director, know. and he's, he's a talented filmmaker. All, yeah. But, yeah, so the fact that he had to pretend, like, you know, it, it doesn't sound natural when I curse, and him having to act crazy. <laughs> I'm insane with anger. <laughs> like It was. It was. It was the over-delivery of the lines. 
that were, yes. that were perfectly delivered. Yes. Because it was acting within acting, obviously. So it and... was kind of just... It, it was very, very funny to... I mean, the concept of Mel Gibson playing some sort of pacifistic priest is a little bit unusual anyway. Yes. But then to actually have it outright in the movie where it appears that the people from the rival farm are the ones kind of, oh, they're trying to make noise, they're trying to cause chaos. Are they the ones that have made this crop circle in our field and ruined a lot of our corn or whatever it is? Yeah. We think they are. Wait, what's that noise in the middle of the night? I can hear something. Is it on the roof? Right, okay. Joaquin, you're my brother. We're going to go and sort this out. Come on, let's go and sort this out. And Joaquin's like, uh, okay, we're going to have to go out there and we're going to have to act really, really angry. And Mel Gibson's like, I can't do that. I'm (laughs) nice former priest Mel Gibson. And I'm sat there going, (laughs) what? (laughs) This is Mel Gibson. He should be, he should know exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Because obviously, (laughs) look, this is me. I never go by character. I go by actor, don't I? So if if, if I see Mel Gibson in a movie, I expect Mel Gibson. I expect a little bit crazy, a little bit angry, and very shouty. But, you know, like a legit good action star. I don't expect (laughs) what I got from Graham in this movie. But to be perfectly honest with you, I was... Yeah, I was quite impressed by Mel Gibson in this movie. He's, he's got yeah. he's got a little bit more emotional acting ability than people I think have given him credit for in his career. Yeah, I think you were really able to kind of feel his struggle and feel his pain and understand his loss in faith. Like he played all of that yeah. really well. Um, I do, back to this kind of scene, I do kind of love that he was like, I cursed. <laughs> and, and Meryl's like, I heard. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, like I said, this movie actually did have, surprised me. I forgot how many kind of fun moments were in it. Uh, because, you know, yeah. you kind of focus on the deeper, like, struggle of this family and their grief. So you kind of forget that there are a, a few lighthearted moments in there. It is also a particularly funny little scene when... Um, uh, Joaquin Phoenix is also wearing a tinfoil hat. Yes, and, like and the three of them fully... are sat there <laughs> invested in this conspiracy. What, they listening to the radio or watching the news or something like that? Yeah, he's like, and... uh, I put the TV in here because the kids are getting obsessed while he's like totally obsessed. <laughs> he's sat there with his hands on his knees and his cheap tinfoil hat on and he looks absolutely ridiculous but they all look ridiculous and mel gibson's eyes tell us that he thinks they also look ridiculous and yes. it is funny it's like... <laughs> shot quite funny as well but we've we've we, we spoke about this quite a bit in in the visit episode m knight has when he wants to this strange comedic timing in his shots and his shot compositions and his editing that shows he understands comedy as well. Because you need to actually shoot a scene like that in such a specifically timed way for it to actually come across as funny. Yeah, and it doesn't break up a a dramatic moment or a scary moment. Uh, You have to play those just right. And he always seems to do it in a very organic and natural way. Like, it doesn't feel forced, like, oh, okay, we got to throw something funny in here because it's getting really tense. Like, it just feels kind of organic, like like you would be in this situation with people you know in your family and somebody would say something kind of ridiculous that would come off as funny to somebody else. Yeah. So, you know, when he does pepper in these scenes of, you know, levity and comedy, they always fit very well into the mix of the other genres that are there or happening around it. So that is also something I really love about him. And yeah, I just completely forgot that this movie had quite a few of those kinds of, uh, scenes to kind of break up the the different vibes that were happening. So, and again, you've just said it there. He is. He seems to always be so good at genre blending. Yeah. He seems to be able to always balance it really well because there's a hell of a lot in this movie. I mean, no, it's not in any way a comedy, but there are these comedic scenes we've just talked about. But it's very much a drama. 
it's got horror in there and it's mm-hmm. very much a sci-fi movie. Yeah. Which, you know, takes skill to blend all that together because it's a little bit easier to make a sci-fi horror movie than it is to make a sci-fi drama. Yeah. Or a a drama posing as a sci-fi movie on the surface because that's what it is. It's also got plenty of horror in it. Like that pretty famous now I, I you know, I think in in terms of movies the first sighting of the alien on that Brazilian video camera. Yeah. On the news. It's like a pretty famous scene. In movies now, you know, 18 years after this movie came out. Yeah. Um, it, it's It's gone down in modern movie history, I think. And it's quite good and it's really impressively done. Yeah. The music's obviously great, as, as again, because it's James Newton Howard. Howard, his kind of constant collaborator. Um, but yeah, the so, music is very memorable. It's built, like, even, like, just the opening credits were so intense. Yeah. It felt very, um, uh, I don't know how to explain it. It felt very, like, psycho-ish to me, you know? I was going to say that. <laughs> yeah. it, felt a, it felt very Bernard Herman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it did. Um, you get the, the violins from Psycho, all the ding, 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 ding. Yeah. <laughs> it felt yeah. a little bit like that. I mean, that wasn't a violin. That was me going do, 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 do. It was the least violin sounding noise ever. But no, you know I, what I, I mean. liked your attempt at the staccato. Um. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. But it did feel very uh, Bernard Herman. And look, why not? Yeah. Why not? Why not want to ramp up the intensity? Because let's face it. It is a pretty intense movie in all aspects. The drama is really quite heavy yes, and intense, you know? Like, it, for, for one, what a horrible way for a mother and wife to die. Yes. Like, being pinned to a tree by and a truck. And it's such a helpless situation, like... If you move the truck, she seems fine. She can talk to you. Yeah. If you move the truck, she's going to immediately die and bleed out. It's the only thing keeping her alive. So it's well, just Didn't like... the police officer say something like, if you move the truck, her bottom half would well, come off? Yeah, yeah. Which is horrendous. Yes. That's not what anybody needs to see. And the build like to that, that, the build to that story, just like these little moments yeah. here and there, like which ambulance, is she, which ambulance is she in? She's not in an ambulance. And then you cut back to present story. And then like, so I, I liked how that was handled as well, because now you have hat flashback things that you're dealing with, too. And all of that kind of just works so well. And, you know, just talking about the opening credits, like that kind of terror, kind of horror build then you get into this kind of really rural, like, uh, you know, farm kind of setting, this quiet kind of place. Um, It kind of subverts your expectations and it makes you more kind of invested in how is this small town kind of setting going to build to something that's as intense as what we were just given with this opening, you know, music and credits. And so I I kind of like that as well. He just does so many smart things kind of peppering throughout and, and combining so many things without it feeling forced and jumbled and mishmash and messy. You know, he's able to kind of really pack a bunch of stuff very neatly together. It's very um, precisely done. Yes. The build in his movies. And even with those flashbacks, like what we get in each different kind of more detailed version of that same yes. flashback. Because the flashback is just the night where Mel Gibson drives is driving down the road and stops at his wife's the, the car accident. accident. Yeah. And we only get so much of it, don't we? at one point, and then we get a little bit more later on in the movie, and a little bit more later on in the movie, right up until we get the full uh, ending of that encounter, that last encounter with his wife. And it happens right as, you know, the alien's there, it has more than... Exactly. It's the big climax, what is going to happen. 
Exactly. And then that's what kind of leads to that realization that you said and that exactly and him making that decision which one of those people are you are you the person that believes in luck and there's no higher power or do you believe that there's somebody who's there looking over us and that things happen for a reason which person are you there are signs and there are signs and we have the flashback of his wife and that leads us to this moment of making that decision. I absolutely love that kind of build and how it, you know, plays back to this final scene and that final decision that he makes. Uh, you know, that even the so well handled, even the little kind of mid versions of the flashback mean something to the scenes around them from the present day. Yes, because it's kind of. It's really precisely done like that. But yes, it is, of course, mainly impactful in that climax when, yeah, the the alien invades their home because they all figure out that the crop circles are actually navigational tools for the aliens. Yeah. And I don't know, do you feel like the aliens, like, look good? Because I feel like when they're... Like the grainy Brazilian video camera footage, like that it looked, one looked really pretty, good. pretty legit. I um, like and that. I and I liked that they kept it kind of in the shadow. And when it was in yeah. the shadow, it looked great. But when you got kind of a little bit closer, then you kind of got the it was a little CGI-ness. bit, you know, yeah. two thousand and two, wasn't it? It was yes, just a little so bit too much. If you were going to keep it CGI, of course, then yeah, I think it would have been wise to kind of keep it a little bit in the shadow. Yeah, which worked, bit, which yes, worked. But when they kind of tried to give you this close up of the face and everything, yeah, I think that's where you know it I like kind of... feel of them because they feel quite intimidating, and yes. obviously they're quite humanoid. So you get that yeah. kind of half relatability, which is even more terrifying. Well, for me, you know, I think like thematically that having a humanoid alien invasion is more terrifying than having an alien invasion of some creature that we have no concept of what on earth that even remotely looks like. Yes. If it looks somewhat like a person and walks on two legs and has two arms and has a head and eyes and nose and a mouth. Then you can kind of be afraid of it and relate to it in some familiar way. Um, I I will say I did also like um, the build of the invasion and the build of you know the conspiracy and then like the different phases it went through you know yeah it felt like a kind of zombie movie kind of build of like did the gradual descent into this actually being a real thing that could be the end for you know humanity so you know it starts kind of with animals acting weird like they're on their defense and you know things are freaking them out because they can sense these things happening and you know like the very beginning with the corn you know field and you hear Bo scream and that's the first kind of step and then the animals kind of going crazy and then more things coming you know Bo would just like oh this is the same thing on every channel and then that's when like the news is picking up all these crazy sightings and stories and then we get the ships in the sky and then they're gone but are they really gone and like so I like that gradual build of just things getting crazier and more believable and then up into the point where we actually see one yeah um so uh that leads to uh Shyamalan's uh role in the film how did you feel about him does I mean (laughs) why he cast himself as the most kind of sad horrible just must be so guilt-ridden man in the entire world why is he cast himself as this character? I don't know. He and and I, I was reading some trivia, and I guess Mel Gibson didn't know it was gonna be him until the day that they shot that scene. <laughs> and he just turns up in that car and just, oh, it's me. Hi. <laughs> like M Night, what are you doing? Oh, I'm yeah. playing this role. Uh, uh, why didn't you tell us? <laughs> yeah, uh, um, I wanted I... to keep it a surprise. <laughs> the twist. It's <laughs> a twist. I'm so I... I have to twist everything, including yeah. real life. Yeah. Um, I did like that scene in town where they see him and they're like, "Is that him?" And he's yeah. Like, yeah. And all of them just kind of looking at him, and you know, everybody knows who that guy is except Bo because she was too kind of young to like, yeah. you know, for them to really give her the full details of everything. So I, I really like that scene how they're all just kind of eating pizza, and then they see him, and then they just stare at him like he's going about his business, and then he sees all of them, and then just kind of like basically runs away. 
And then they all just kind of get quiet. So I, I really liked that scene and you kind of thinking about what does this mean? Who is this guy? Like, yeah. you know, because we, we don't I'll... have, I, I, I think we, we didn't have as many details at that point. No. So I do like that kind of curious vibe of, you know, what's, what, what is this about? What's happening here? So I like, I, I thought that scene was really smart. Obviously, when we find out who he is and, you know, he was the one who was driving the truck, fell asleep at the wheel and, you know, killed their mother and wife. Yeah. And sister-in-law, because Joaquin yes. Phoenix is actually his brother. Yes. Um, it, I, I actually think it's really kind of maturely handled. Yeah. By the movie and by the characters in the movie. Because obviously, like, M. Knight's character is really guilt-ridden. Yeah. And feels absolutely horrible. But Mel Gibson doesn't kind of hate him for it. Because he's, you know, his character's a bit more mature than just going, You killed my wife! Yes. He's not doing that. Which is unusual, because you you almost feel like Mel Gibson would kind of definitely be like that <laughs> yeah. as Mel Gibson, <laughs> which is, again, just another example Testament of how this him. role is yeah. we, really unusual for Mel Gibson. And how and good he is, And credit to it? him for doing that. Yes. Um, <laughs> unless <laughs> Mel Gibson just actually wanted to do this. Was this at the time that Mel Gibson was turning into a horrible person? When did Mel Gibson actually turn into a horrible person in the public eye, Janine. I feel like it was the mid-2000s. Yes, I believe so. So <laughs> it's a little bit before. Okay, fair enough. Um, but, you know, yeah, Graham handles it quite maturely as well because he, he basically says, look, it, and then it go, it, I suppose it brings up the discussion of coincidences and things happening for a reason and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's almost a case that Mel Gibson... He's now, like we've talked about, he's gaining this realisation in faith again and he's confronting his grief and all this kind of stuff and he's going through his emotions and realising that actually, maybe as horrible as it sounds... Everything does happen for a reason, and there is a little bit, whether it's a higher power in a godly sense or in a deity sense, we don't know, or whether it's just in some sort of spiritual starry sign sense. The movie never outright says which one they're talking about, which I also think is quite smart. Yes, because you don't want to... to kind of put your own... Exactly. uh, You know, thought behind that whole concept in there exactly. so you're not kind of excluding anybody um but it's really it, i just think it's really maturely handled because yeah. it's almost mel gibson understanding that look maybe with all this going on and all this kind of alien invasion the end of the world and all that business maybe my wife actually had to die at that moment. Yes. And it wasn't M. Knight's character's fault because the world, the higher power, whatever it may be, had written it that he would fall asleep at that wheel and he would. I mean, it is, when you think about it, very particular coincidences. Like... To fall asleep at a wheel right there next to somebody who's walking along the side of the road to veer at that precise moment yes, and pin and her he against a particular tree. And he said that. He was like, it felt like it was meant to be because, you know, the road was empty for so many miles there and back. And if I had fallen asleep at any of those times, right. nothing would have happened. I would have ended up in a ditch with a headache. But it had to happen at that time where she just happened to be walking right there. Like it was Does meant to be. Think. And the fact that he said that was just kind of like, that's like, it's sad. But it, it's, of course it is. Yeah. But it does but make I think, you think. And it does answer that, like you said, that, you know, maybe it was meant to be because he remembers that conversation. Like we flash back to finding out what that last moment was right at the moment where they're supposed to fight this alien and it gives him the answer. It gives him that realization, gives him the decision yeah. made. So 
I like that, you know, they did show that, yeah, that did happen for a reason because now we're here in this moment and her words are what saved us. So. Yeah. But I think, it, you know, stuff like that can kind of really help in the real world as well, like out, completely outside of movies. I think if, you know, you, you are dealing with some sort of trauma or grief or whatever it may be, the belief that things happen for a reason and there are higher things at work, whatever they are, when, mm-hmm. again, whether it's godly-wise, deity-wise, or spiritual starry signs, whatever it may be, it can be a comfort to believe in those kind of things yeah. when you are dealing with grief or trauma or something like that. Um, and this movie, I think, tackles that really well. And it just makes you think about, you know, your own life and your own situations and everybody else's situations and everybody else's life. Yeah. And it's a smart thing to deal with. It's a smart thing to confront for the movie. Yeah. Um, And again, it's just a reason why, if you think this is an alien invasion movie, watch it again. Yeah. Because it's a grief drama, really. (laughs) And you might think that's a bit heavy. But it really works because, yes, okay, it's got some fun alien stuff in there as well. It works as this very, very smart, very, very... Family drama. And um, I I feel like maybe a better actor would have, you know, given more to that whole monologue that M. Night gives. Uh, Sure, sure, yes. But I I appreciate, like, what he says and, like, how uh, I think Graham's reaction really helps the scene as well. Because, you know, he's saying things that kind of may be a little bit hurtful, that, like, it was meant to be that I hit your wife, you know? Yeah. But when he kind of continues to explain, like, that, you know, things happen for a reason and he, you know, had this whole conversation with Merle about, you know, are you, which type of person are you? And, you know, it hurts him to hear this, but I think he kind of maybe believes that he's right. So then he kind of winces and like, you know, is fighting back, you know, tears uh, while he's telling them this. You know, he tells him how, you know, he's had his number for months and has, you know, wanted to call him. And um, and I, I like him even acknowledging that he knows what he's done to him, that you were a man of faith. And I realize that I've taken your faith away from you, like that he even had that deep of a realization that that's also part of his guilt. His guilt is not just for killing his wife. It's for stealing away the faith of a man of faith, um, which was, you know, was such a huge part of him. And he feels extremely guilty for that as well. So I like that he acknowledges that part of it too. So there's a lot of good things in that monologue. I feel like, yeah, like I, I think a better actor probably would have delivered that better and maybe, you know, made you feel more from it. And it wouldn't have felt... Uh, you know, wouldn't have had that underlying beat of hard exposition, which is, you know, yeah. I, you know, we talk a lot about exposition <laughs> and how, you know, poorly or well it's handled in movies that we watch. But, you know, while I do think it was still a, a fine delivered scene and I did get the emotion out of it, particularly because of Graham's reaction to what he was saying and the things that he said were were really great. I feel like I would have maybe felt more from it and it would have been a little bit more believable if it was from, you know, somebody with a little yeah. bit more of a gravitas, I guess. You but know. then again, it's M. Night's movie. M. Night's allowed to do what he wants in exactly. his own movie. Exactly. So if he, want, if he wants to play this guilt-ridden character, let him play this guilt-ridden <laughs> yes, character. Fair, you know? fair enough. <laughs> fair enough, M. Night. But it is a very, very emotionally mature movie and i appreciated it for that i really really did um all the while being a little bit of a alien conspiracy movie as well just to ramp up all the weird alien conspiracy theorists out there that actually believe wearing tinfoil hats is going (laughs) to do something yes morgan was very upset when they were down in the basement and he's like we don't even have our helmets we don't even have our hats they could read our thoughts. He was very um, angered about that. Um. I, I will give credit to the children, actually, as we kind of uh, begin to wrap this up, because one of them's a Culkin. Yes. I don't know his first name, but I know he's Rory. a Culkin. He was the one who was in Scream 4. 
Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, and one of them's Abigail Breslin. Yeah. Like an even younger than you <laughs> think is young Abigail Breslin. Like we all think young Abigail Breslin is Little Miss Sunshine. He's like, no, this is four years earlier. She yes. literally looks about five. Yeah, she's so cute, as well. Um, what's Abigail Breslin been doing recently, Janine? Probably something. Um, but an awful remake of Dirty things. Dancing. Oh, so bad. A remake of Dirty Dancing. Yeah, she did like a terrible TV remake of Dirty Dancing. It was no oh, dear, pretty awful. Well, I like. Oh, and she did, Breslin. and she did Zombieland too. That's oh, that's probably her true. most recent credit. Yeah, that's true. I like Abigail Breslin. She's a, a very good actor as a child that I think should be doing more big stuff these days. Now that she is no longer a child. Yeah, <laughs> um, and hopefully she continues to have a good career, because like it takes some skill to not annoy people in the audience as like a five six year old. <laughs> yeah, acting in a movie, and neither of these two children in that or in this movie are in any way annoying. No, they are very good in this yes. movie. In, in this movie, both of them. And you kind of understand like Morgan could be, you know could have been come off as kind of a brat but you, you understand like his conflicts with graham with his dad and you know saying things like he wishes meryl is his dad and you know yeah. telling his dad outright that he hates him and you know that he let mom die and all of this stuff because you know he's kind of abandoned his faith and morgan still has his faith yeah and so that's kind of really hurtful to him that his kind of beacon for believing in things uh, and honoring people in that way uh, is kind of gone, so he feels but kind it of comes abandoned back, in that. Jenny. Yes, so I it do. I do like back. that whole dinner scene where they're all kind of like, "Let's just make all the things that we want to eat," and so it's kind of this fun moment. And then they're, you know, the kitchen's a mess, and they're sat there, and nobody's eating, and Morgan wants yeah. to say a prayer, and Graham's like, "No, you know." I don't believe in that. We're not saying a prayer. We don't need to say a prayer. And that kind of causing this whole, like it, that's when kind of everything is laid out on the table and the, the real feelings are actually said. And, you know, he yells at Bo to stop crying. And it's this whole kind of heated emotional thing. And Morgan realizes that, you know, his father's broken. Yeah. You know, he didn't really choose to lose his faith. Something happened that shook him to his core and stripped that away from him. And, you know, he, I think in that moment, you know, Morgan tells him he hates him, but then when he sees him kind of break down, he realizes what's really happening and goes to his father and hugs him. And it becomes this whole thing. And I love that he just like grabs Meryl and pulls him into the hug. Yeah. yeah. Meryl doesn't really, he's not really been involved. You yes. know, he's not really been involved in this argument. He's just kind of there. But Mel Gibson's like, come on. Come on, Joaquin, you're involved too. <laughs> yes. You're a member um, of this family. Yes, Come on. And I, and I do love that. Like, I love that, you know, Meryl snaps at Morgan and tells him, don't you ever say that. You know, when he said the thing about, I wish you were my dad. I love that yeah. Meryl, like, you know, don't you ever say that to me. Um, and, you know, Meryl and Graham have a really great relationship too. Like, you're my brother. I've looked up to you, you know, my big brother. And I, I like, you know, those moments that they have. I mean, let's um, be fair. They're kind of, there's a, Fairly significant age gap there for brothers, isn't there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Between Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix, like, there's got to be, there's got to be twenty years there, right? I mean, I would say Mel Gibson was maybe pushing fifty there. Is that it? Would you not say? I, I would, would you not think say Mel he was... Gibson is in his fifties mm-hmm. in two thousand and two. I'm gonna see. I'm gonna see how old <laughs> okay. they both are. All right. If if uh, my phone will allow me to. But yeah, I mean, look, the ending of this movie is fairly emotionally uplifting, Janine. Yeah, Joaquin is 74. 1974? Yes. Yeah. Well, so Mel Gibson's 1956. Oh, yeah. So there's 18 years between the <laughs> yeah. two of them. And to be honest, you can tell because, you know, Joaquin Phoenix looks a bit youthful and mel gibson looks like an aging man yes and i mean that whole conversation like 
uh, Graham's kind of having this deep thing telling him about, you know, what kind of person are you? Are you somebody who believes in yeah. you know, coincidence or somebody who believes in luck? And Merle kind of com- or <laughs> compares it to a story of like a girl almost puking in his mouth <laughs> at <Yes>. a party. <laughs> so I like that. You know, there are scenes like that that show you kind of the age difference and the fact that, you know, Graham's worried about the kids getting obsessed with the the alien conspiracy drama and <laughs> Meryl is actually obsessed <laughs> with the alien conspiracy <laughs> drama. So the things with the age difference, you know, and even the whole scene with running around the house, I think those are yeah. scenes that definitely show the age gap um, and kind of let you alert you to that. And... You know, so it would make sense that a Merle would look up to Graham and, you know. Definitely. And, and have the, you know, because he was probably really young when his brother was, you know, an adult. Yeah. So, and I like that, you know, we do pepper in those scenes of like that, the police lady, like talking about how, you know, it was really great of you moving in here yeah. to help them out after she died. And, you know, Merle like thinking, I'm, I don't know if I'm helping much. And she's like, yes, you are. And, you know, you did a good thing here. And so I like those kinds of moments where you're really building on this family bond and really kind of starting to care about these people. I like, he always tends to do that really well. You like, you get really invested in the people and you really care about them and uh, you feel like you kind of know them with Definitely. just enough of information given here and there. And yeah, I really Which like that. Which is why it's very satisfying when <laughs> Meryl gets his baseball bat yes. out from the little holder on the wall. Because the wife's last the words. alien over <laughs> the face. Because the wife's last words are, Janine. Meryl, swing away. Tell Meryl to swing away. <laughs> so he does. Meryl swings away. Mel Gibson tells him to swing away, and he smacks up the alien with a baseball bat. And just the fact that it plays into the fact that Bo just always leaves glasses of water all over the place. Yes. So that plays into Nice little callback. Yes. And the fact that uh, Morgan just had an asthma attack, so his lungs are partially closed, so when the alien sprays alien chemicals or whatever into his face well, it never really explained what it is <laughs> no but, but we um, assume it's going to kill morgan but you yes know. his lungs are closed because he just had an asthma attack and they were just in the process of getting his medicine yeah um so you know that played into it he had asthma for a reason and we hear exactly. Graham say that, you know, so he had asthma for a reason. Bo always tasted funny things in her water and left her glasses all over the place for a reason. You know, the wife died for a reason to give, to tell Graham to see, to tell Merle to swing away. Like that happened for a reason so that they, when they got to this moment, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, it all comes together in a nice little jigsaw puzzle that fits then, together perfectly and then we see him you know his faith restored he's back to being you know a priest and and the light you know, shines and the heavens sing and, and the aliens the kids playing go away in the background and yeah and everything's sunny and sweet again yes isn't it nice and it's a satisfying ending it really really is a satisfying happy ending of this yeah. movie and it's like, and I like, like you said, I, that you don't need to adhere to a specific type of belief system. No. To understand the feelings that happen, to understand him going back to his faith. Like, you're not going to be like, well, I don't believe in what he believes in, so I can't get behind, you know, yeah, his faith I- restored. Um, And I like that they kind of don't specify a particular type of belief. But they just kind of break it up into two types types of people: the people who believe in yeah. a, in someone watching over you and and um, no coincidences, or someone who just believes in luck. So I like that. That's how they kind of broke it down. Yeah, it's more universal that way, yes. which is just obviously works kind of better because it's able to then make whoever's watching it think these things for themselves and question these things for themselves, yeah. which may in turn actually help those individuals that have watched this movie because they remember it could happen. There's no guarantee that something like that couldn't happen. You could be sat there grief-stricken about something. Yeah. And it may be a horrible, horrible thing. And, you know, it is terrible. But 
you could potentially remember a line from this movie and it actually help you deal with it. Yeah. Which is unbelievable for a movie to do. I mean, look, it's almost what movies are there to do. It's illicit emotion and make people think and make people feel and that kind of stuff. Yeah, maybe not feel so less alone. Like, you know, you feel less alone in a situation because you've seen somebody go through it or you feel like this isn't just happening to me. This is something that could happen. To anybody. You know, yeah, or it plays into a sort of comfort for you, you know. Yeah. Very smart, very emotionally mature, like Mm -hmm. I said. So I was very impressed with Signs, Janine. Okay. It wasn't the um, tense alien. Well, it was the tense alien invasion movie I I was expecting it to be, but it was also so much more. Yeah, I mean, near the end, we did get kind of the more horror aspects where they're kind of boarding up the house where yeah. you know they realize one is come inside where you see the hands creeping under the door as they're running you to do. the basement it was good i liked that the door knob yeah the one turning the knob well you know and they're trying to hold the door and then you know meryl gets the axe to to yeah. block the door but then hits the light so then it's completely dark we don't know what's happening um the camouflage the one lights. yeah the camouflage one that just grabs you know morgan uh, yeah. Like, so there are some great horror elements near the end, um, but I like that you know it's definitely not the major focus, but it plays into the story really well. Like I said, he's able to kind of package up so many different concepts and ideas and genres very neatly, and it doesn't feel jumbled. It doesn't feel like weird tone shifts. It it no. feels all very organic. Like it makes sense. Like it feels natural. Um, so I, I really love that about a lot of his films so i must say i do also like that signs isn't the kind of let's believe in alien conspiracies movie which i also maybe half thought it was going to be yeah (laughs) so i appreciated that it dealt with it because you feel like i don't know i feel like like 10 15 years ago alien conspiracies kind of became a thing again yeah and People started talking about crop circles. Like, thankfully, I think that kind of has gone away. But then I remembered that wasn't there that thing last year where people were doing some sort of raid on Area 51? Yeah. Uh, Did that ever actually happen? No, probably not, because they would probably all get killed. (laughs) Um, You know. But I don't think people go... I don't think people who are absolutely convinced there are sinister things going on in the world will you know conspiracy theories and that kind of stuff will ever go away but i think you've got to be smart with conspiracies like i think looking into conspiracies is fine if you're smart enough well not if you even if you're smart enough but if you are kind of if you you take it all in and don't believe everything you read question everything you read even if it's what everybody else thinks is the truth or the conspiracy but don't believe anything yeah be questioning um because look there might be aliens locked up in area 51 but also there might not be so who's to say yeah (laughs) who's to say other than the people that actually know and you're not one of the people that actually know so shut up talking about it it's got (laughs) nothing to do with you you know what i mean yes are are you are are people just like way too way do they just feel themselves too important well it's to think that like meryl said he explained it these are the nerds who just have nothing better to do and so they make up these little codes and share them with each other so they can feel good about themselves (laughs) i guess I guess. Joaquin Phoenix giving the best description of conspiracy theorists. Yes. <laughs> in a movie. Well done, Joaquin Phoenix. Applause for signs, Janine. Applause for signs. I would, in, in terms of the three M. Night Shyamalan movies we've seen. Mm-hmm. Well, include in the one that series. you have, the two that you have seen as well. Ooh. So you have seen Split Ooh, and The Sixth Sense. Oh, it's tough to compare, though. It's tough to compare. I find it easier to compare with The Village 
because it's a drama that's half horror. Um, the village is kind of like I, I. I just happen to really, really love the village. Okay. I really, really liked this movie. I just don't think it's necessarily monumentally rewatchable because it's a little bit heavy. Okay. And you know, to deal with these lev the or this level of e emotional um intelligence takes a lot of emotional intelligence and you know that can be heavy for any human being to yeah. confront in any movie or especially real life god forbid but it's it, so i wouldn't call it as rewatchable or something like the village to me yeah and i think i prefer the village as, as an overall movie um, the visit, I find it very difficult to compare to. It's way too different movies. The visit's way more simple. The visit is a simple, simple movie. Very, very simple. Yeah. Signs is not. Signs is a complex movie with mean with layers. real layers yeah. and themes and meaning in there. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how I could accurately compare. I was just going to say that I very, very much liked Signs for many reasons that I did not expect to like Signs for. Because I thought I would like it, but for other reasons that I actually came out liking it. Make sense? Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, I think there we go, Ginny. Another win. Feeling good. Yeah. <laughs> Another win. What have we got next week on Morgan Hasn't Seen? Well, now we'll be getting into, um, I think it's called the East Rail Trilogy. I think that's what they Does call it. Does it actually have a name? Yes. Okay. I didn't know it actually had an official trilogy name. Yes. Uh, we'll be talking about Unbreakable. Yeah. So I so have seen Split. You have seen Split. So we will probably kind of just watch Split and like discuss it since it's yeah. part of we'll this, it. you know. A reference point. A <laughs> reference yes. point. Yes. Yeah. But we'll be talking Unbreakable. So I'm really excited for you to see this one and hoping you uh, enjoy it. There's some really clever things in there. And especially if you're someone who likes superheroes and comic book lore and things like that yeah uh, i think it's a really smart real world take on on those things so again i must admit i'm expecting to enjoy unbreakable i'm expecting to and i think i will so i hope i do yeah i hope i do and i'm pretty sure i'm gonna do look sam jackson being cool wearing purple all the time it just works doesn't it so you know it's cool i like it yeah um i like it already <laughs> i like it already um but i did like signs yay janine yay did you have anything else to say about this movie just really always great to revisit it definitely like you said a lot of emotional intelligence happening there um lots of themes and levels and ideas about faith and uh what what kind of and it kind of gets you leaves you thinking about what kind of person you are if you're the person yeah, who believes in luck and the person who believes in uh you know uh coincidence no coincidences um yeah. and things happening for a reason so i like that you know it kind of leaves you with something that you can kind of look into yourself and try to figure out um great performances great score um just great themes in there uh great performances and actually, you know, a lot of funny moments that I kind of forgot about. So, uh, yeah, always, well, always a good one. Mm -hmm. Speaking of things that are meant to happen, other shows are meant to happen. <laughs> that was a beautiful. That yeah, was it's a, a wonderful podcast feed. That was terrible. <laughs> that was awful. I just felt like I had to say something like that. So I did. Um, because. Morgan Hasn't Seen is, of course, not the only show you can find on the It's a Wonderful podcast feed. We're here every Wednesday talking about movies that I haven't seen where Janine makes me watch them because she likes having power. <laughs> that was Janine's power laugh. We also 
have It's a Wonderful Podcast, the main show every Friday where we celebrate, love, discover, and just generally gush about older movies that we all love so much. It's Janine every other week on that show. I'm always there switching off with Nolan Dean, who is, uh, well, switches off with Janine because I'm always there, like I've just said. That's every Friday. Machine Mondays is, of course, every Monday with Janine talking all her schmo-down things. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we have you covered on the It's a Wonderful podcast feed. We have the It's a Wonderful watch-alongs. That's on my YouTube channel, so just search my name or go onto the social medias. Um, My name, full name on YouTube. Of course, Morgan Robinson on YouTube. Um, But we're looking at revamping things, aren't we, Janine, and doing more things. Yeah, definitely. You'll just find the links on the social medias anyway. That is, of course, at It's a Wonderful One on Twitter for the podcast. At the purple dawn with a three instead of the E in the because, Janine. Three is the magic number. Or just on Instagram at the purple dawn. That's for me. And Janine, all your good stuff is at where? You can find me at Janine DeBean on Twitter and Instagram. Please check out the It's a Wonderful Podcast Patreon at It's a Wonderful One on Patreon.com. Come hang out with us. We got fun things going on over there. Yeah. Bonus content and Sunday live streams and monthly artwork and fun little videos, voting in polls, all of that stuff. So please check it out. It's a wonderful one. Patreon.com. And if you want to get any merch for any of our shows or check out any of my artwork, you can find all of that at my tea public shop at tpublic.com. G9 Design. There we go. Next week we have Unbreakable. We'll be talking about things that apparently break easy but are unbreakable i'd never really understood it i was led to believe that mr glass was very easy to break how come the movie's called unbreakable i don't know i'll have to watch it <laughs> i'll have to watch it because i don't understand it it's confusing uh, we'll get i was confused <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> anyway i do think there may only be one thing left to do janine Three, two, one. Bye. Bye.